Welcome to the show. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Quentin D'Souza, and we're going to be talking real estate. Quentin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, John. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Glad you're here. Just uh, want to start the interview off with maybe a little bit of a bio about you, like what you do now and how you got there. Uh, sure. I, I mean, I got a long bio. I, I mean, I started investing in 2004. I was a public school teacher before and, um, I have a master's in ed. I was going down the path of being a school administrator, um, and, um, had my principal qualifications and, uh, I had, uh, on the side, I had been building a real estate portfolio and by 2014, I had to decide whether uh, I had enough income that came from, from my portfolio that exceeded my uh, income as a consultant at the time for, for the school board. Um, and uh, I had to decide whether to continue on the real estate front or on um, uh, teaching. And I decided to go into real estate full time. And in 2014, I, you know, I did a dozen flips in a year. And then I figured that was, I had a job again. So I didn't like that. And so I decided to focus on apartment building investing in 2015. And so I've been doing apartment buildings. Um, usually, you know, I still do two to four units occasionally if there's the right deal. But, um, you know, the last deal, like uh, the I'm work, deal I'm working on now is 94 units and we closed uh, 202 units in July. And, um, you know, I've been building a portfolio. I have, um, uh, 80 million in assets under management. Uh, currently I own, uh, I do things a little differently. I do 50, 50 splits, even on apartment buildings, but we don't have a bunch of extra fees. So we don't have asset management fees or, uh, acquisition fees or disposition fees. It's, we really look at the uh, asset itself, but, um, you know, I've been, I've been doing that uh, full time since, or I've been a real estate investor full time. I've written five books, um, you know, got a little podcast, do a little this and that. And, uh, but mostly I have a lot of fun talking about real estate because my, uh, you know, I like talking to people like you about real estate because my wife is tired of listening to me. So yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> she, she, she's, she's like, I'm not talking to you about real estate anymore. Okay. <laughs> she has only like, it's like a cup and what I can only fill it by so much. And then after that, she's like, I forget it. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get it too. Oh man. Yeah. It's one of those things I could talk about it all day as well. I think sometimes maybe I'm annoying with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's awesome. Like now again, what was the deciding factor? Like you said, you had to choose between, you know, continuing in the, uh, you know, education or in, you know, with a board or going over to real estate full time. Like what was the deciding factor? Because theoretically there's ways to still be involved in real estate and have your full-time job, but mm -hmm. obviously that wasn't the path you wanted. So something triggered you to say, this is not for me. This is where I want to be. What was that? Well, you know, I, I was always involved in different things as a teacher. Like I was never just, I never just was a teacher. Not that that's a bad thing, but like I, I would be involved in the publishing industry. I was doing website design. I had like, uh, um, taught myself coding and I was, I had a few like side well, web businesses. I, you know, I had a bunch of things on the go, but I, um, when I started to get involved in real estate, I realized that I could create income and leverage the asset in order to reduce my amount of time that I needed to acquire that income. And so um, actually what happened, it was really like convincing my wife more than anything. My kids were like at the time 10 and, and seven. And so there, we had a young family and um, you know, 2013, what I started to do is I banked my paycheck and I used the income from my real estate portfolio to kind of say, Hey, this is, this is what I'm doing. Let's see if the portfolio, so I could have probably left the year earlier. Um, I actually, I could have left a year earlier because I banked my paycheck, but um you know, after that year, everything looked great. And so then I just continued, you know, with the real estate full time. And then I actually scaled much higher. Like our, my, just for, I thought, 
you know, like at the time, $5,000 a month is what, what I needed to, to, to be able to live. And I thought that was a lot of income. Um, and, um, you know, since then I've been able to do a, like a, a lot better than that. But I mean, uh, like my, some of my friends make fun of me uh, because, uh, you know, it's like, well, you thought 5,000 was a lot, right? I'm like, well, at the time I thought it was. So, uh, but you know, you grow and you, you hang out with different people and they have different expectations and you know, that, that helps to level up your game. So it's been a cool ride. Right. Well, that's the thing, right? I believe you're either growing or dying. There's no such thing as staying the same and 5,000 may be good today, but with inflation and everything else and all the other things we discover in life, all of a sudden we find that 5,000 doesn't go as far as it did, you know, year after year. So if you're not growing, you're pretty much your bubble shrinking. And you mentioned yeah. something, right? Like the people you're surrounded with, obviously that's very important as well. Because if you have the mm -hmm. wrong people that's around you, they're going to just hold you down, right? Like, like if you surrounded yourself with a, a certain group of people, that 5,000 may have felt like it's enough because they'd be holding you back. So you feel like what you have is enough. You don't need to do anything. And usually a lot of times you realize it's not enough when it's too late. But because mm -hmm. obviously, well, from what it sounds like, you're surrounding yourself with the right crowd who basically encouraged you or made smug remarks towards you to help you elevate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, today I'm part of like the entrepreneur organization. And within that organization, I created what you would call it like a, a, a group. And these are all investors from across Canada that invest in real estate. And they're at a higher level than me. Like some of them have like, you know, 300 million in assets. One guy's, you know, picking up a thousand doors in a quarter and like me being in that, like with that group. And I was helping by facilitating and I'm helping by facilitating the group. Like I'm doing some of the grant work where nobody in the group wants, but at the same time, you know, I'm, it's really helping me to be in that group because my mindset, it shifts. Um, you know, uh, like I can't come in with like doing a duplex and like a triplex when the guy is bringing in a thousand units. Like I, like I just can't like, <laughs> so, you know, my, I added a zero to everything that I was doing. And, you know, by adding that zero that gave me scale and then, you know, filling in business systems and processes that helped me to, to uh, use that scale to grow. And, and that's what I've been doing. And it's been a, it's been great. I feel like I'm just getting started. So, um, you know, just meeting with interesting people and connecting with them um, helps me to, to, to level up. I, I was at a, conference over the weekend and I met this guy, uh, uh, Vinny uh, Chopra, right? Uh, and he's got like 700 million in assets under management. And, you know, uh, you know, one of the things that I was asking him, how do I get from 100 to 500? Because it's a different mindset to get from zero to 50, from 50 to 100, from 100 to 500. And, you know, it's, it's those sort of insights that you get from other people that can help you to grow, but you don't have to find the person who's like way ahead of you, what you need to find is the person who's gone from zero to 50. Right. And if that's where you want to go. Um, and so it just depends on, on, on that, but being in the right room again and being with the right mentors or uh, peers or people that can, can help you um, is really key to, to, to getting you to grow. Um, you can leverage, they're uh, being close to them, but a lot of those people also have books that they publish, right? So you can always access their knowledge through those books. And that's a great way of being able to, to gain, uh, glean insights into who they are and what they've done and, and how they think, right? So that's a, it's easy. And, you know, there, everybody has like um, uh, uh, different websites, uh, blogs, uh, podcast, video. So, you, you know, you have the opportunity to more than ever to gain those insights. The key is once you've gained the insights is to do something with it, right? Is to take action. That is really the, the, the key with all of that. Well, action is the key to everything, right? Everybody's got ideas. The only difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person is that a successful person will take action on that idea. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that that I have got this on my desk and it and it says uh never ever ever give up, yeah. right? And and you know, that's me. I'm a very determined person. I'm constantly working to uh, improve. Um I set a quarterly goal of of doing something that's outside of my comfort zone and um that always has helped me to to grow every quarter. Can you imagine if you do something out of your comfort zone that has some scale to it um and um you do that every quarter how much your life is going to improve right and so that's how i've been feeling um and what you know one of the things that i do every quarter is to do that right and that and that's intense right i mean that that's where a lot of fears come in and what holds a lot of people back so you know good for you that you didn't allow that uh, pressure to stop you Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. So like, yeah, you said you have 80 million dollars in assets and that's mm-hmm. no um nothing to um what was the word I was going to use? Nothing to uh like nothing to like dismiss. I mean, for mm-hmm. a lack of a better word, that's not coming to me. So, it's, you know, what I mean, it, that it, it's quite impressive. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're not, not talking about where you have one or two homes or three homes or a duplex or a triplex, like you said. These are massive investments. And obviously, yeah. that um, financing on that, is, it's not like you're going to walk into a bank and say, hey, I'm starting into real estate. I need $80 million. Right? And the bank's going to go, hey, where were you? We've been waiting for you. Now, where I want to point out before you answer my question to everyone watching or listening is that you went from working in the school board to having this 80 million dollar portfolio. So the point of this is the fact that you didn't start off with family money of 4 million in the bank or we're earning a million dollars a year as some corporate CEO. You started off like every regular day person and you managed to build this portfolio. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that sh- showcases that anyone can do it if they really put their mind to it. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually interviewed by Business Insider recently and um they highlighted one thing that I I had um shared and you know, in order to start this entire thing, you know, we really used $5,000 uh that we had saved up and we had used uh home equity line of credit. That's how we started all of this, right? Um it wasn't that we had saved up all this money to be able to to do it. Um you know, we we utilized what we had. I used the uh, uh, you would call like back at the time there was no label for it, but it was like the burr strategy on yes. a lot of properties, right? Um and then I was taking on partners starting in 2009 because people saw what I was doing with the the burr strategy and then they wanted in. And so uh, I I have I have partners today that we started with in 2009 and so they were um you know partnered on on various projects with us that's helped us to grow but you know if I didn't start if I didn't get that first one I wouldn't be where I am now everybody just has to start you just I'm not special like I'm not like you know the only difference between me and another person is that I take action right and i i do what i say i'm going to do that like my word is my bond and um you know i follow through like that's this is this is you know the way that i live my life right so um it's it's pretty cool but like anybody can do this you just got to do it <laughs> absolutely now getting into all this right like as you said you started off you were doing 12 flips and obviously you started off with single family duplexes stuff like that yep. and then you went into you know multiplexes Now, yep. what was the biggest challenge in making that leap? It was a mindset shift. So from going to like so when I had quit my job, I had built up I probably had about 20 properties, about 30 units. So there was like single families in there, duplexes, uh triplex, fourplex, like a bunch of different things. But um when I quit my job, I was like, "Oh man, I got to do something." right i got to get money fast like so what i what do i do so the first month that i quit my job like it was june in 2014 in july i picked up a flip project and um i trans like we did all the work i had my team because i was doing the same thing with the burrs except instead of uh holding on to it just ended up selling it so 
with that that project i had made in july i had made a hundred thousand dollars on that flip and that was more than my entire year of working and i was like i did this in a month what was i thinking like <laughs> like so it was it was really awesome it was pretty cool and i decided you know to continue to do that now um, at the end of 12 months, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is crazy. I have a job again. I've, I've quit a job to have a job because now I'm flipping properties every every month, um, managing uh, contractors, teams, uh, materials, like all of this stuff. And I'm like, this isn't what I quit my job for. And so I went and I talked to a couple of uh, buddies of mine. Uh, who were full-time investors and they were like, Quentin, what you've been focused on is uh, cash flow and cash flow is important for holding an asset, but it's not going to make you wealthy. What's going to make you wealthy is the piggy bank. And I was like, what the piggy bank, the piggy bank, it's the apartment buildings, right? So what happens with an apartment building is you, you buy it, you get some cash flow from it, which helps you to hold the asset. But what happens is you can reposition that asset, add value to it, and then refinance it, um, you know, a few years later. And when you refinance it, you can pay yourself back and then continue to cash flow on that asset, right? And this time, when you refinance it the second time, you want you want to, you may get a, like a fatter cash flow. So you're still getting the cash flow, but then you refinance it again, and you refinance it again. So we don't sell apartment buildings. Uh, we, we actually don't have a 1031 exchange in in Canada either, right? So it's right. not something that we do. So we um, when we acquire a building, we want to keep it, and we just want to refinance it and refinance it. And what ends up happening is we get like the, the infinite returns. Right? Right. Because once you pull your money out of the asset and, you know, you have a 100 percent return, you have no funds in it. So our partners are happy to move those funds into another project. But now they have infinite returns and then they continue to, to own that asset uh, and we don't exit our partners. Right. So we, we continue to have them and they continue to own the asset. But now they have 100 percent of their money out and you know, they continue to get cash flow and continue to, um, we continue to refinance in the future. Um, that one building that I bought in 2015, it was a sixplex. I've refinanced it three times, right? Like it's been great. <laughs> like it's more than, and, and the, the other thing about apartment buildings, you know, like with the one to four unit, you may get cash flow every month and it may be, let's say a hundred, 200, 300 bucks, whatever it is. But with an apartment building and depending on the size of it, like in three years, you could get like a million bucks or 2 million or 3 million, which is a lot different. Right. And so that's, that's the difference between getting a hundred dollars and $200 a month, you know, every, every month versus, not taking those funds, but then, you know, being able to uh, hold off and then, you know, reposition the asset takes longer. But when you do refinance, you can get a huge amount of money back. Right. And that's that's the difference. And it's like that big like rush of, of funds that that really can help you and help your your real estate portfolio to scale. Right. Absolutely. See, that's the thing. Now, here's my position, what I believe in in terms of real estate like obviously the objective should be multiplexes. I don't believe in investing in one door. Um, by like, and also I'm also on the same belief that the home you live in is not your uh, investment property. That's the home you live in. It costs you money. You're not mm -hmm. collecting an investment is something that brings returns or at least pays for itself at very minimum. Yep. Right. Yeah. And the home you live in doesn't do either of those. So, yep. I mean, you have to live somewhere. So, you know, I'm not knocking it. You got to live somewhere, but, that's not your investment property. So now on the other end, where if you've got to invest in something, like if you have money in the bank right now, you have 40K in the bank and it's just sitting there, your bank's not earning you any money. It's costing you money because appreciation is killing it. Mm -hmm. So my advice to somebody is that, okay, maybe you can't get into a multiplex with 40K on your own, but holding on to the money is a waste. So Invest in that single door, hold on to it for a couple of years when it appreciates the asset, cash out, and then you can invest into a duplex and do that again. And then a triplex and a, you know, fiveplex and a sixplex. And eventually you have enough to make that step into the multiplex or get a joint venture. Yep. What are your thoughts on what I just said? 
Yeah, I think there's right now we have something that's unique uh, to us uh, today, and, and that is that we have negative yield. So negative yield means that um, when you have inflation of let's say four or five percent, and you're borrowing say at like two or three percent, you're actually being paid to borrow money. It, rarely happens right like usually you see the consumer price index at let's say one and a half or two and then um, interest rates are maybe at a three or or uh, or a four this is the opposite so what is that that's telling you by having a negative yield that means that borrow what you can you know and if interest and if inflation rates continue to be higher than the borrowing rate you are getting paid to borrow. It makes no sense not to do it, right? Because that means that the value of the money is depreciating faster than, you know, the asset that you have is, is appreciating, right? It's, it's, it's a no brainer. So that's why, you know, get into assets, hard assets while, while it makes sense to you. Um, it's going to be coming more challenging cost of construction goes up. Um, you know, and it, and it could be like other types of hard assets too, like, uh, gold, silver, um, you know, you could have intellectual property that, that is, that's an asset as well. Um, you know, land, uh, is an asset, uh, buildings are an asset. It just depends on how, easy or hard it is to hold that asset because if you have a it's great to have a um you know like a forty thousand dollars invested in a single family home but if that single family home is negative like it's negative cash flow every month it becomes hard so you also have to to take that make sure that you run the numbers do a performa of that single family home make sure that it can care like the cash flow from the property allows you to carry itself and if you do that's that's a great asset, at least for somebody to get started. So definitely agree with you there. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's my point, though. My point is having cash in the bank is the worst thing you can do. Right. Yeah. I, I I don't keep cash in the bank. I keep enough to float my uh, my floats. Because I mean, I get I'm in a, an agent, right? So we only get paid every time there's a closing. So mm -hmm. roughly for me, we'll round it up to every three months. So I've got to last three months. So I get I carry enough to last me my three months. And then everything else, you just keep pouring into investments because keeping it in cash flow is just stupid because yeah. you're just losing it. So yeah, I, and my point was in terms of the single family home is that if you're not going to do anything with it, you're better off. Like I, I always believe you can invest in a multiplex uh, right away and then do it. But if your option, you can't get into it now and your only option is a single family home, then it's better than doing nothing. Yep, Absolutely. So absolutely. Yeah. So now I was, let me ask you, what was your biggest win in this venture? Like what was the one thing that you thought it's not going to happen and you know, or not right now, then boom, something happens. It's like, Oh, this happened faster than I expected or it happened or it's beyond what I expected. So what mm -hmm. was your biggest win? Well, I mean, one of the things that I, I like, I looked at a 202 unit, seven apartment building um, uh, project. And I was thinking, man, this is like a $40 million asset. I mean, am I going to be able to take down this asset? And, um, you know, I haven't done something this big before. Like the, the, the biggest deal that I had done before that was like a, a $5 million asset. And I was like, wow, okay, well, you know what? I'm ready to go. Like I have the funds, you know, I had like, there was a $750,000 uh, deposit, right? That was part of the, um, you know, that process. I had, um, you know, I had a list of people that I had worked with in the past. Um, you know, I have accredited investors that that are part of my, like uh, the, my inner circle that I've, I've worked with before. So I was like, okay, let's, let's see if, let's let's get this going right and so you know i mean this year i had raised about 12 million dollars for all the different projects that i was involved with from my accredited investors and i was able to take down that project like that was uncomfortable because of those relationships that i've built over the years um with all of those people and i at the, at the beginning i was kind of like wow this is like this is a big like raise. And then at the end, I was like, oh man, I could have done this years ago. 
right? Like, uh, but you don't realize it until you do it. And, um, you know, I, I gained some additional confidence from doing that. Of course, there are, are lots of challenges and there are, um, you know, challenges dealing with different types of people who have different expectations and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, getting past all of that and then being able to, uh, you know, close on the property. And then we did like extremely well, like based on the cap rate that we purchased at, um, so, um, your, so what ends up happening is that we do a bridge into agency debt and we go right into agency debt within like four to five months. So, um, you know, and your agency debt in the U S is like, let's say three, three and a quarter, our agency debt is like two. So there's a, it's, it's a, it's a lot lower, but so what ended up happening is like, we ended up purchasing the the um, the apartment buildings at a cap rate of like 4.8 and then the agency debt is using like four and uh, a quarter as uh, the cap rate so that means that we're able to actually provide a return to our our like a return of capital to investors of like like 20 percent. So it's like a, a pretty crazy, uh, um, you know, thing that that ended up happening with this particular project. Now, I, I don't, we don't, we haven't solidified all the numbers on that yet. So I'm not saying that that's like for sure what's what's going to happen because we still have another three weeks to go. But this is what it's looking like from um, moving from you know just the the bridge lender to our agency debt, and you do it in a, a shorter amount of time. So um, it's, I mean like all of those things, I like if I didn't just do it, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to accomplish such a large deal. And I wouldn't have been able to help so many people. Right. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's just a really like a uh, win-win all around. So, and don't get me like, I'm like, I'm an owner in, in the building. It's not like I get paid based on how many assets I owned. I get paid because the building performs and because it, it makes money right? Like I am, so it, it's, it's really different, right? A lot of people think like when they invest in like REITs and stuff like that, that ev the um, everything is aligned in the same way. It's not because what happens in, sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent no, ahead, here. Yeah. So, so if you think of how REITs work, so REITs work, um, the uh, people get paid their fees and the people in a REIT get all their salaries before anybody gains any sort of return, right? So you get paid based on the amount of assets that you own, right? So the more assets that you own, the more fees that you get, the more salaries that you get, and that gets paid first. In a private investment, what ends up happening is that, you know, you get paid based on the results of the asset, that's a different way of looking at things and it's a different way of doing things. So I get paid based on the cash flow that comes from the asset. I'm motivated to ensure that the that asset is appreciating at a good rate. Um, and like the way that I structure my deals, I don't take an asset management fee. I don't take an acquisition fee. I'm getting paid 50% of the cash flow. So I want to make sure that that thing is is doing well, and and I, I'm very motivated to do that. And then I don't take a disposition fee. I think it's kind of weird to take a disposition fee because otherwise you didn't believe in the asset, right? So we, um, you know, I get paid after my investors get paid back their initial funds, and then we split it 50-50 after that gave that the, they get paid back. And so I have a very long-term point of view of doing things. So like getting this, these seven buildings and the 202 units, this is, it's like, totally changed my mindset, totally made me think differently on how I've been doing things, to totally makes me feel like I'm just getting started. So like, I just, I just discovered something and I'm just like, you know, getting, getting started into it. So then the, the next acquisition is a 94 unit building. Uh, that, that is under contract. It's not closing till next year, but like, it's just like, I just feel like I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now, yeah. let me ask you, what areas do you uh, invest in? Because you're from Durham region, right? That's I would right. imagine that you don't just invest in Durham. No, no. So our assets are from uh, Toronto. So I'm in Ontario, right? Um, as well. Yeah. And, and so I'm from, uh, so I focus on 
uh, from the Durham region out to Ottawa. So along the 401 corridor, all the way up, right? So that's that's where I focus, and I'm I'm really into that uh, that that corridor. I'm looking at specific pockets along those along that way, and um, I'm looking for cap rates that make sense. So in Toronto, the cap rates can be go down like to to two or three, right? Whereas yeah. you know if you go to other secondary markets, you can you can get uh, you can push up that cap rate sometimes to four or five. Um, market cap rate and CMHC cap rate, which is agency debt cap rate, is is usually calculated differently, but you know, I've worked really hard to on all my broker relationships to be able to, you know, um, you know, uh, develop those. So I'm really in Southern Ontario. That's where the 80 million in assets are. Um, and the, the market is very similar to like, I would say a California market or something like that, where it's appreciation market, there's cash flow, but really like we're, we're seeing, you know, double digit appreciation. Uh, and um, so we've done, we've done quite well. It's it costs more to build than it is to buy. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that too. Kind of yeah. crazy that way. Eh? Like, yep. so I, I, I kind of agree with you with your Toronto analysis, right? Like I'm, uh, I'm in Grimsby, Ontario. Now I was mm -hmm. born and raised in Etobicoke mm -hmm. and I don't think based on rates, I don't really like investing in the city anymore. I don't like, like, Etobicoke, there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't think the returns are as strong as they are in other developing areas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least short term, long term could change. Nobody has a crystal ball, but I believe as of today, that's where it stands. Yeah. And, and the challenge too with Etobicoke is that you're probably negative yielding, like your, your negative cash flow. And that, that it's hard to hold on to an asset that's negative cash flow, or you have to put down a lot more money in order to make it cash flow, which isn't a good use of your yield because you want to you look at a like a return on equity calculation versus just a, a cash flow calculation as well. So when you're look when you're doing your analysis and your performance, you want to first of all ensure that the property cash flows but you also want it to have an efficient ROI like i'm 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 not interested in anything that doesn't earn me at least 20% IRR every year and uh, um, so if i if it's not that i'm not going to look at that and that's the problem with with some of those markets with the low cap rates it's not that um, first of all you're you're having to feed it every month and that's not never a good thing right? Because you can get into a really bad situation quickly. Um, the other thing is, is that you're not efficiently using your dollars, like your your equity in order to get the best yield. And that's why I like the apartment buildings, because, you know, it's a it's a great way to, 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 to get yield. Absolutely. I agree with you on that as well. And even the other danger with uh, low cap rate is that, um, Right now, we're in good times. And you know what? Don't get me wrong. I'm not one of these guys. Oh, the market's crashing. That's not what I mean. But winter is coming at some point, And everybody mm -hmm. goes through it. It's a cycle. Real estate has been a cycle. The reason real estate is a good investment because the overall, a 40-year history shows high returns. And it is the most stable of the choices. So even when it does come down, it will go back up. It's just a, a matter of a waiting game. As long as you don't sell, you never lose. So where I'm going with this is when you have something with a negative cash flow and or you have something with a low rate, what ends up happening is when we hit this winter mark, as I'm calling it, what ends up happening is just like when, when values go down or take a dip, so do rents, which means your hit's going to be even bigger. And if you're going to barely sustain what you have now, that little dip could actually be uh, financially uh, crucial. Where if you have somewhere that has a stronger market, even if it takes a 10% dip, you're still ahead and you can ride out the way for the two, three years that we have that low, you know, that low margin. And then it'll come bouncing back and you're back to where you started. So you never really took a hit. You might have took a hit in profits, but you're still ahead versus when you're barely holding on your assets at risk. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like a good example of that would be to look at uh, the condo market in downtown Toronto in like March to July last year, right? Yeah. Because you had a double a double whammy. You had people who were moving out of the core, creating um, like a vacuum in the uh, amount of units. And then you had the um, uh, short-term rental laws come in in Toronto, which clamp down on short-term rentals in the same market. So what happened is you had a bunch of people who were short-term rentals that had to list their property now as long-term rentals at the same time as having people moving out from the core into like suburbs and uh, secondary and tertiary markets, right? And and they were there they still been doing that. And so what ends up happening now is you have rents collapsing. Now if, if you already were negative cash flow on that asset you know, and a lot of people are who are investing in those assets, you know, they're now they're had to come down $400, not like 100 or 400 or five. now your cash flow, like negative cash flow, $1,000 a month versus $500 a month. Now, granted, over the last year and a half, those rents have come back up again. Right. So, I mean, they're they're pretty close to where they were before, but it took that time to be able to get to that place. So you have to be able to with if you're going to do that, you're going to have to understand that that happens and you have to be careful. Like because um, you have if you have too many of those, that could really put you under. And if you don't have like if you don't have any savings, you don't have a line of credit, you don't have the ability to get get funds to be able to withhold those assets, you're going to lose them. And that's never, never good. So that's why I always encourage people to buy assets that are cash flow positive, right? In in strong markets that make sense and um, not necessarily, you know, just appreciation. Because what happens is if you buy for appreciation, the bank will give you a loan for like one property. If you buy for cash flow, the banks will help you to build the portfolio because they know that your debt coverage ratio is going to be higher than like what it costs to own the asset. And so they, they're going to be encouraged by that. And instead of just giving you one because you bought for appreciation and negative cash flow, you're going to be able to buy two or three. And they're going to, and as you, they see that your portfolio is growing, they're going to want to lend more to you. So that's going to allow you to grow and to grow your portfolio. You're 100% accurate on that. And, and that, and that's the thing, right? And a lot of times, even the, the downtown uh, core, a lot of those uh, condo units, they had owners where they had two or three units. And imagine that even if it was, we'll say 250 hit you might, instead of 400, right? We'll use the lower number, 250. And normally the person has two or three. You're at, you're at between 500 and 750 a month hit over and above the home you're paying for it to live in. That's huge, especially what is the average income out here? 60,000, 50,000, 60, you know, that, 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 that's, that's a good, good chunk of your income, especially if the average income is just say, we'll say 60,000, that's before tax. You really have 40,000 after tax. So then to take the, you know, let's see, I said 500, so it will be 6,000. We'll say 7,000 for the year. So now you're living off of 33,000. Well, you take the average single family home and the average mortgage price. So you're pretty much got enough to eat food and then you don't have enough to drive. Yeah. And, and then what happens? The tenant stops paying. You have to go through an eviction. It gets worse and worse and worse. Right. Right. So yeah, it's a recipe. Yeah, all of those things. So that's why you have to be careful when you're in the, and that's why I tell people to avoid negative cash flowing. Uh, like pr properties that are negative yielding, negative cash flow. It just, it's impossible you know, over time to, to hold that with all the ups and downs that happen. And you want to have, you know, that comes from experience to going through different market market cycles as well. Um, and seeing, you know, and hearing of how other people have invested and what their challenges have been. Right. So, you know, I, I know for a fact, that's not where I want to be. Um, and, and it's also why I'm, I'm investing in apartment buildings in Ontario, because that's what, where I see the, the most benefit to me and the people that I, I, I need to work with. So, um, so that's, that's really where, you know, you, you got to think of all of those things and, 
um, you know, when you're building your plan um, and then going off and then implementing it, right? So you wanna, you wanna consider that. And people like yourself who have experience with real estate, you know, and um, you know, those are the people that you wanna talk to when you're considering, you know, working with a, a, an agent or a realtor, right? Uh, broker, you wanna have those, those people that have that experience. So that way they're not making that mistake, right? Absolutely. You want to know somebody who can do the calculations because anyone can open up a door and say, here's the kitchen and here's the living room. You know what I mean? Like any, anybody can do that. You don't even need to be licensed to know how to do that. You just need the license to be able to legally get in there and do that. Right. So a, a true broker or agent has to be able to go beyond that to provide any real value. That's right. And not all of them invest in real estate. Like, uh, like if you, it's kind of funny because I would have thought it would have been an opposite, but it's not, it's about the same as the general population of like 97% of people don't invest in real estate, right? Maybe about 3% do. Uh, maybe that's a little higher now, but not much more than that. If you look at the real, like realtor population, it's about the same. So you do have to work a little bit harder to find those people that actually do invest in real estate. And when you do, that's how you know uh, you want to find out how do they run their numbers, what what what's working for them, what hasn't worked for them, right? And um, and see how they've learned as well, right? So it, it's pretty it's pretty neat. Right. Well, exactly. So second thing, like, like you said, experience is everything. Um, and now people got to start somewhere and learn somewhere. Um, I found that even doing it yourself sometimes is the best way to learn. So when you're preaching it, then you're preaching from experience. Mm -hmm. And I even going to what you're saying, not everybody, every, you, you would think the realtors are the ones with the investments, but the reality is it's sort of like the experts out there. The majority of the people passing out advice on how you can make billions of dollars don't have uh, 50 cents in the bank. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I I've, I don't know how many gurus that I've met that don't <laughs> like that are teaching people on how to invest real estate that have like less real estate than the average person that they're talking to. So it's, it's kind of scary. So you, that's why you have to do your due diligence and, and do some research. Like I, I've written five books i've got a sixth book coming out on amazon i've been doing this so long like i understand it inside and out we can have conversations on all different types of, of real estate but uh, you know sometimes you you talk to some of these people that are on this like the stages of different conferences and things i've been to and it's just like uh you don't know what you're talking about like you know this little box because you're saying it over and over again but you don't know real estate like you're not you're not even invested in it like it's kind of crazy so people need to do their due diligence for sure absolutely like now i'm sure we all made mistakes throughout the process like i'll give you an example yeah. of one of my mistakes my <laughs> first purchase was a condo like my first actual purchase not mommy and daddy's stuff you know what i mean like my own investment was a condo and i bought it at actually the condos in sherway gardens in etobicoke I bought a pre-construction before it was built. So I kept it for about three years after it was built. And I got a return of 170000 from that, mm -hmm. which is not bad. So then at that point in time, I decided I no longer want condos or not one single unit condo. So I went out and uh, started looking in the Hamilton area. But then an opportunity, I thought this cool loft came up and I thought, oh, wow, it's cool. Like, I got sucked into it by the emotion of, wow, it's cool, you know, and that's something I would have wanted when I was 20 years old. And um, I, don't, I don't know what was I thinking. It was a nice place. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with it. But from an investment purpose, it was terrible. Um, I was fortunate. I took an $8,000 loss on that. And I got out before I saw, I saw the tidal wave coming and I got out as quick as possible. And I'll be honest, because I was an agent, I was able to uh, conserve on a lot of the uh, expenses or the loss would have been bigger. Yeah. So um, I was lucky to get out of that. And then I uh, bought a uh, new construction out in uh, Grimsby. And uh, there's a $300,000 return on this. That's awesome. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I I've made lots of mistakes too. So like, I mean, this doesn't come with experience doesn't come with bumps and bruises and, you know, things that happen. Like I've, 
Like, you know, I, I partnered with people before that weren't in line with me. So now when I partner with people, I actually interview them and I, I see if there's a good fit. Like, um, so for example, one of my first partnerships, I, I partnered with this gentleman, great guy, you know, we're still friends today, but you know, he wanted to get into the asset and get out of the asset. And I wanted to hold it for the long term. And so like, he had a flip mentality, right? Where quick cash, quick cash. And I had a long-term, and I still have a longer-term uh, mindset. And so what happened was we finished the project, I got tenants in, we refinanced it, like done done really well. And then he wants his money out. And I was like, uh, but that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, we, we, we hold it, you know, we make uh, hundreds of thousands versus, you know, the 25,000 that you're going to end up making after everything is said and done. No, we wanted the 25. So, uh, you know, I ended that. Um, it's okay. We like, I adjusted the way that I was doing things. I sold that, that asset probably I made two, 250,000, something like that. Um, and I sold it a couple years later that's fine. Right. But the thing was, I didn't have the right alignment. So I've learned that too. I, um, I, I bought a packaged rent to own deal from some, one of those, uh, companies in Ontario that, that, that had it. And this was back in 2009. And like, it was a failure. Like I, I owned it for a year. I went through the landlord tenant board multiple times. This is the, the, the tenant owed me like $20,000 by the end of the contract. They didn't, they stopped paying right from the very beginning. It was a mess. The company didn't care that, that put it together. They just wanted their fee for putting together the deal. Um, and by the end of it, I had probably made $5,000 in total at the end of the year and a half, but I would give it back if I didn't have to go through with it. But if, you know, for me, it was a good learning experience as well. Right. Like for sure. Yeah, for sure. I found that even, yeah, the rent to own sound great on paper, but I, I really believe that um, it sounds better on paper than the actual results. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Wrong. There's going to be a few that are gold mines and are really good. But the problem is the odds are against you. So if you're going to go against the odds, go to the casino. At least it's more fun. <laughs> well, and the other thing, if it does do well, you, you end up usually selling an asset for hundreds of thousands less than what it's actually worth. Like sometimes you set up these contracts in rent to owns that you are actually locking in a return with the, the tenant buyer. That's what you're doing. And you're locking in a return for, let's say, 14 or 15%. Meanwhile, and, and like, let's say a purchase price of 500000 uh, Then the end of three years come and the and the, this this tenant buyer has the option of the property and the property is worth $700,000. But you have an agreement to sell it to them for five hundred, right. which you have to follow through on because it's an option. Uh, and Or you can get into some legal, legal stuff, right? And then so all of a sudden, you've given up $200,000 thousand dollars in equity because you wanted to have a guaranteed return right like a return that you could calculate and it's not even guaranteed because what ends up happening is if they don't close then you own the asset so there's some upside to that but like there's so many moving parts it becomes more of an active business i found than as passive as as it, it's claimed to be uh so I'm not a, a real fan of it. I am a fan of it for an exit strategy. So if you're looking for a, a lease to own as a quick exit, maybe in six months to a year, I think that's not a bad deal, especially if you have like a tenant who's in a build uh, in a unit and you wanted to be able to build something out so that they can live in it at, like and buy it from you. There may be some opportunities there, but I, I'm, I'm not a, a big fan of it as an ongoing strategy. I prefer buy and hold properties or uh, buy and hold multifamily family in particular oh uh, yeah buy and hold i think is the best strategy ever on average i think real estate doubles every seven to ten years which yeah. is great like for me to get involved with somebody i would not want to be involved unless it was a 10-year commitment mm -hmm. you know what yeah. i mean like it's one of those things that makes no sense uh you know like uh, nobody's in it to make a you know like a two percent yeah, that that's that's right, and and that's why like my partnerships too. Like when I'm talking to people and doing the interview, I'm I'm asking, them, how long are you looking? Like my partnerships last for like ten years. My 
Um, you know, like I have a partner still from 2009 that's invested in multiple projects with me, right? Like, uh, like my timeline is is long term, and and I agree with you. That's what you want because for a long, like, if you're able to take an asset up and get that much uh, appreciation and still have cash flow, that's where the wealth comes from. It doesn't come from the cash flow. It comes from the the cash flow allows you to hold the asset, and the appreciation creates your wealth. Right. And and if you can get cash flow and appreciation in a market, you're golden. Right. I agree with you. See, I have a saying your uh, job gets you your uh, your uh, approvals and your wealth comes from your investments. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a great, great, great statement. Great advice. Absolutely. So I want to be uh, conscious of your time. Uh, what I want what I want to ask you, though, as a uh, final question or a second final two questions is for anybody who's interested in getting into investing and, you know, really wants to learn and, and not by losing, just actually learning it. What do you suggest they do? How do, how would somebody start? Well, there are um, a lot of local like meetups and things like that, where you can meet other investors who are investing in the area. Um, so uh, what I would suggest is that you go to those events in the Durham region. We, there's uh, Durham REI um, and there is the ability to meet with other people. And when you meet with other people, you want to ask them, like, who is their part of their power team like who is the realtor that you work with who is the lawyer that you work with that sort of thing a lot of those meetups will have the opportunity to have like a rolodex of contacts that you can you can find out a little bit more about who's working with who you want to find out who the active investors are in that area and what they're investing in because that really can help you to decide on like where what direction you want to go to and in particular you want to ask them about what are, what's their cash flow and how do they come up with their cash flow numbers i like some people will use mortgage paydown as a as a component of cash flow i don't do that right uh, that's just part of my mortgage payment it's a bonus and it adds to my overall roi on my project but it doesn't i don't include that in my cash flow number my mortgage payment is my mortgage payment my cash flow is what i get into in the bank at the end of the month right so um and and you know how are they calculating that like what kind of maintenance repairs vacancy are they using to be able to calculate their 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 numbers and so by finding local people who are investing locally that's a great place to start right and i think that can help anybody to 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 get going um you know, it, they can listen to po great podcasts like this and, and uh, broadcasts like this. I've got one, uh, getrealwealthy.com. So they can listen to me there if they want. And it's in, you know, I think listening and educating yourself is easier than ever. The next step is taking action. So contact a person like John and, you know, see what he's working on, see what deals he has, you know, under his belt, what he's going to, you know, what, what's going to be working in his area. And then, um, you know, that's a great place to take action, right? To see where, where you can go with that and how you can build your, uh, your real estate portfolio, but take action is the key. For sure. Now, finally, you answered part of that. Where could, uh, people find you online? Uh, you can like find me on Instagram and Twitter at QmanREI. So if you go to QmanREI, um, that's that's where I'm at. Um, I've got a, a Linktree account, uh, which is uh, Linktree.com, I think, slash QmanREI. But you can see that on my um, my Instagram or Twitter, or you can like look me up on Facebook as well, Quentin D'Souza. Uh, I'm on there and, you know, I'm on a bunch of different uh, social media, LinkedIn too. So lot, lots of spaces, but yeah, the, if you want to listen to what I'm doing, just go to getrealwealthy.com and you can listen to some, something about uh, uh, real estate, what, what my wife doesn't want to hear anymore. <laughs> That's funny. Awesome. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I think this was very valuable, very informative, and uh, I, I'm really happy we did this. Oh, uh, thanks, John. Have a great one. Take care. Thanks.